Oh, I want my, uh, my, uh, all of my toilets flush, and I pay my bills on time. <laughs> Hello? Oh, hi, Merlin. How are you today? I'm great, Dan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How's everything up way up there? Oh, it's fantastic. It's nice to hear your voice. I'm back from Florida. <laughs> you went to Florida? I went to Florida. Can you believe this? Why'd you go to Florida? Uh, so Alexis O'Hanian, the, uh, one of the co-founders of uh, Reddit, was doing a talk at UCF, and they... What's the name again? What's the name? Alexis Ohanian. Uh, Alexis Ohanian. It's a very professional, fancy, foreign-sounding name, but he's totally from Brooklyn. And uh, he he wrote this book to promote... Uh, he, uh, so he's on this tour to promote his book. And they he's going to these different universities, and I, he's, they, they were looking for, as you would say, an alumnus to... Uh, join him at the university, so they found out that I was from that I went to UCF, and uh, and they said, "Hey, you know, I know it's really late notice, but would you come out to uh, to UCF and and talk with Alexis on on the big stage, which actually wow. turned out to be very very small stage, and it was great. <laughs> we had a really good, but a really good conversation. I I uh, I drove up down Alafea, and uh, and then uh, came back." Wow, what an adventure. Yeah, it was, uh, it was unexpectedly, it was weird. It was so weird. And Florida is, it's, I mean, no offense to our Floridian listeners. No, never. <laughs> but it's so bad there. Yeah. It's gotten worse. And I don't know if it's gotten worse. <laughs> or you've gotten better. Or I've gotten, yeah. Or Austin has improved me uh, or something. But it... All of my, all of the memories that I had of it, uh, you know, because you know how, you know how, like sometimes I think back on high school, I'm like, it sucked, but there were still some all right times. Uh, but no, there was no, nothing good left in Florida. <laughs> uh, I, I do know what you mean, and uh, as I age and hopefully somewhat mature, I, I try to reevaluate those kinds of memories. And a lot of times, you could say, you know. Those times you thought were really bad had great moments, and yeah. a lot of times you were great. You realize you were nervous the whole time or something. <laughs> yeah. But the thing about Florida is, like, no matter how much it changes, it gets worse. It did it get worse. It doesn't seem possible that you go back and you go, oh, my God, everything here is completely different, and yet somehow exactly the same. Yeah, and it was it was just so odd because, you know, like the roads, like you just – you sit at lights forever and ever and ever and ever. Like the lights don't change. And and people run the red lights constantly, uh, and and people drive really really slow in the left lane, and they don't merge, they don't use their signals, so just drive. Oh, you hate around. that. You it's hate a, that. I do, and it's a hazard. It's so it's very dangerous to drive there for one thing. The other thing is that people don't care. They just don't care. That's the and it's like whether it's the the TSA lines, they don't care. Whether you're at a restaurant, they don't care. You're at the hotel, they don't care. People just don't care. It's a fact. They don't care. They don't care. You're telling me, as you sit here today, the entire state of Florida doesn't care. Yes. They, mm. Your neighbors don't care about you. The people who are in the jobs whose job it is to help you don't care. The, the, and, and it creates an environment of not caring. And it's contagious. Mm-hmm. People contagious. walk in the door and they let the door slam right in front of you. Nobody holds the door. Nobody holds the door. I hold the door and people look at me like, what are you holding the door for? Get out of the way. Fruit. Fruit. <laughs> Stop being rude. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's terrible. And really, you know what? New York, uh, New York seems like a like a city of love compared to uh, Orlando. New York has Dan. New York has a system. Here's the thing: you have to understand about wherever you go, and this goes for driving. This goes for doors. Mm-hmm. This goes for Applebee's. Mm-hmm. Wherever you go, understand <laughs> that there is or should be a system. And, and when you go to New York, you understand there's a system. It's just you. You may not understand the system. You may not like the system, but it's a system it that is mostly a system. works. At least it's an ethos. Yeah. Okay, there's there's a movie that came out in 2006, and I don't want to mention the name of the movie because it's going to upset people. But there's this really really good movie Mike Judge did called Idiocracy. Uh, I've seen that. It's a very very important movie for everyone in America to see. <laughs> now, the Idiocracy, as they say, some people on, don't. Just for the record, yes. some people don't don't like nonfiction movies. Is that right? So, they only watch the. <laughs> it's a, you turned it. That was good. Hmm. I need to have more of this tea. Uh, here's, here's the thing about that movie. As they say on the internet, Dan, you can't unsee it. Um, Idiocracy is, if you haven't seen it, and you should. It's, the whole story of Idiocracy is pretty, pretty wild. What, what happened to Mike Judge trying to put this movie out, the pushback he got from Fox. But it's a shame. I mean, it is, if there is a cult movie for our time, uh, this is it. And, you know, the basic idea, <laughs> I'm not saying this is about Florida. But in a minute, I'm going to prove that this is Florida. Um, it, it takes place, you know, in a current day, but then basically 500 years past. This guy's in a time capsule, and the guy with the world's, with America's, he has literally the most average everything: average height, average intelligence, especially average intelligence. Wakes up 500 years in the future, and he's now far and away the smartest man in the world because of the way evolution has worked. And so you've seen this film. I have seen it. I've probably saw it about three or four years ago for the first time and it it it's one of those movies that when you first start watching it you're kind of like eh, it's kind of mm, dumb it's a little, little broad don't but, you think i mean it's when it starts out you're going oh, that's a pretty pretty broad humor yeah but, but then it, it then it gets better well i i really i happen to uh, i'll stand alone on this i think it's it's one of the great films i i think it's really uh the the production on it's pretty amazing um and the world that you see, it's hard to describe, but so the, the, the unkind premise of the film is that people who are not very bright have more kids than people uh, who are bright, and that this causes a kind of you know fast evolution where things excel quickly. And this is, this is the montage for this. It's just a, a hilarious to watch, hilarious and sad. But the guy wakes up in the future where everybody, everybody thinks, thinks he, he talks like a um, – he sounds effeminate. Because he uses right. full sentences. Mm-hmm. And the most speaking a series of grunts. Hurry up, And that's pretty much <laughs> how everybody in the movie talks. And, but the, the, I say you can't unsee it because, you know, they, like you go into a Costco that's like the size of, of a city. Everything's falling apart. Nobody knows how to fix anything. Everything is broken. And there's just something about it that I don't know why it had such I, – I can't put my finger on it because I, I honestly don't sit around thinking, oh, I'm way smarter than other people. I, I don't. But there are times when you see things that are so frustrating in life. You see systems that are so flawed and you're like, how have we not figured out a better way to do this? You know what I mean? You, you, like just in your life, you go around and you go, you know, your burritos are good here, but you should really let me help you with the line. The line here is very illogical, and the way that this works is counterintuitive. People can't even get in here because of the people who are waiting in line, and then the people who are waiting. And I, I think to myself, if you give me, I, I, there's probably a reason you do the line this way, but I'd love to visit with you for a little while about how we could improve that. So when I go to Florida <laughs> or places, some places, I, I, I get that feeling that it's, it is 
God, this is unkind, Dan. I shouldn't. Why am I saying this? People are going to be so mad. No, go ahead. Go ahead, because I think I'm already agreeing with you 100. percent You just go. You go somewhere, and it seems like everybody is a little, little caustic and angry for no particular reason. It could be somebody actually like in the worst cases, like in the best cases, we open doors for each other because it's just what people do. You don't do it a gentleman for a lady. You do it a person for a person. It's just a nice yeah, it's, idea. It's a, it's a genderless benefit. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's very few things that you could say about being a gentleman that don't apply to everybody. You know, just be respectful of people and uh, try to carry a little more of the load than you need to. Pick up more trash than you throw down. That's a well, pretty even simple for approach. The, the sake of a conservation of energy, Merlin, if if I've opened the door, I can kind of keep my arm there, and the person coming in behind me, it, they can just put their arm out, and then it just continues. So that if if everyone does this, mm. then it's only the first person who's really doing the hard work. Everyone else is doing a lot less work. So, you know, that reduces the bodies, need, bodies, emotion, food. And, yes, yeah. yes, it's uh, Newton's fifth law of politeness. I'll look that up. It's like when you're following, when you're riding a bike, and the person in front of you, you get in their uh, what is that called? The wind, yeah, they call drag. it dra- dra- drafting. Drafting. I think you're it's breaking, like breaking away. We'll be breaking oh, away. <laughs> this is a great – at the end when he's, he's bleeding. I love it. Don't forget to punch the clock. That's a great movie. That's a terrific <laughs> movie. And it's got Rorschach in it when he was little. Well, eh. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, you know what? I, I want to start the show over because I, I, this is, I have nowhere – this is not going to end anywhere happy. But but I'll just say that I'll just say that sometimes, as a person who has seen the Idiocracy film several times, maybe eventually in a somewhat smug and satisfied way, there are sometimes times where where you go somewhere and you're like, I cannot believe how much this is like Idiocracy, where it just it seems like people are like not not merely just sort of dimming themselves down a little bit to fit in. It kind of becomes a way of life to be a little bit dim, and and and. I have had this feeling at certain points living in the northeasternmost, uh, southeasternmost state. I've had this feeling of like it being a little bit of a liability. It, 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 you can seem fancy sometimes. It seems a little fancy to open a door. Pompous. Pompous, yeah. Anyway, I don't have anywhere good. I, I will say this to, to our listeners. Maybe this would be, maybe this would be a good, uh, we have many, many films we need to do for the 5x5 film, film series. I know we've got a lot stacked up, but uh, I would say if you haven't watched Idiocracy, go and enjoy it. That should be our that should be our kickoff uh, movie. I, you know, I, I, I'm the, the story goes, if I remember correctly, that you know he is so hard on brands. One of the one one hilarious montage is to show what happens to Fuddruckers over 500 years, and and, and <laughs> <laughs> until the name becomes just frankly obscene. Starbucks now gives has hand jobs instead of coffee. You go in and get a latte. And uh, and there was so much pushback from the brands, and Fox was understandably, you know, very reluctant to to do this hatchet job on corporate America and uh, capitalism and culture, and really America in general. But uh, you know, I bet this is a movie that people in the in the in, in the Europe and the UK could enjoy. They like laughing. Well, at I us. think that's their already their perspective of America, especially if they've been here. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a great movie, and it's. That is the perfect way to sort of describe, and it's not like you go to you go down to Florida and you're like, oh, these people are are dumb. That's not what what I'm saying at all. It's it's the environment. What was that study that they did where they had two groups of students and uh, it was a psychological experiment, and they said to the one group, "You're the prisoners," and the other group, uh, "You're the uh, you're the the 
you know, the jailers who I run the prison. I believe that's Stanley Milgram's Stanford prison experiment, I believe, but I will double check okay. that. It sounds made up. Uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You, uh, but, but what happened was the, the inmates, which were just regular students randomly selected from the group, be, started acting like inmates, and the, uh, the guards started acting like power uh, hungry guards and and you and and there was no difference between the students they didn't say well we'll we'll pick the big ones to be the guards or whatever it would just they just sub they just divide them into two groups and you have this and and i feel like that's it, it's almost like uh a stockholm syndrome being in florida where you <laughs> yeah, start you're, somebody's nice to you and you're so grateful <laughs> yeah like something and they and they Thanks don't for sliding some baloney into my closet <laughs> <laughs> that's right and and like the you know so like okay so uh, the let me just tell you what happened uh, at, the, at the hotel. Nice hotel. And, uh, and, and so I go up. I'm going up to my room. I'm riding up in the elevator. And I guess at one of the floors in the intermediate floors uh, on the way up, some people, uh, guys, uh, got into the elevator. And these are what I would describe as frat guys. So you can conjure this image. They're very big, big guys, muscular. They're not wearing shirts. They're barefoot. And they have <laughs> towels wrapped around their waist. Hurry up, dumbass! Yeah, and they're they're in in the you know four or five floors from where they got onto where my floor was going to be. Uh, they they're already talking about their weed consumption, what how, what kind of party they're going to have in their room, and and I said, first of all, now I know they'll be on my floor. Number two, they're in the room next to me. I just knew this. And it and I, so I get out. I get out of the elevator. Let them walk ahead of me. I don't even completely get out of the elevator, and I'm kind of looking down the hall, and I watch them, and they go into the room next to mine. So of course, I don't even bother to go to the room. I go back down. I tell the guy, I'm like, listen, um, n- no big deal, nothing you need to do. But the room that I was assigned to, I didn't even open the door. I could. I, there were. There, it looked like maybe there's a party or something going on there. Could I be in another room? And the guy says, oh, pff, no problem. I'll put, put you right in another room. He said, thanks so much for telling me. He says, usually people don't say anything, and then they go and write us a bad, uh, you know, a bad review on TripIt and, and Yelp or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, why would I do that? I just, you know, I'm just rather preempted. He's like, I don't know. People don't. Again, just a little detail like that you can throw out there. Right. People don't. They, they, it's it's this it's this environment of of uh, of of non caring. Uh, I got a strong thought on that. First of all, I would like to um, make a correction and a half. Okay. I, oh. I, can, I I think I concatenated two things. The Stanford. I think that Milgram's experiment came first. That's the one where there's you're you've got the power to shock somebody in the next room. And oh, oh gosh, I love that one. Yeah, so that, I'm sorry. That's the Milgram experiment, which I think came first, and then the Stanford Prison experiment is where they split people up to being prisoners and uh, and uh, guards. But they're, I think they're both. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the follow up science has been over the years, but they're certainly very influential in making us understand what uh, you know authority uh, can do to us. The man, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a there's a funny thing that happens these days. I think, and you know, I, I have to admit that having reached a certain age, I guess I tend to make pretty broad generalizations about things. But I, a couple of things I've noticed, very related to social media, I think, are and this I'm speaking here to your Yelp. Well, why would you just leave somebody a bad Yelp review instead of trying mm-hmm. to fix it? I think there's, I think a lot of people, including me, a lot of days, feel really powerless about a lot of things. There, there, it's on the one hand, you have this influence amongst your friends in your little social media network. You can, you know, that you can go and you know 
uh, get money for your fun run, you know, by, by asking people to sponsor you. You know that you've seen people go out there and kickstart, you know, feature films. You know that there's a tremendous power. In some ways, this goes back to Clay Shirky's book, um, Here Comes Everybody, which is a terrific book. But, you know, the, the power of large groups of people, for better or for worse, on the internet. We see that from a remove and see how seemingly powerful that force can be. But we also, at the same time, are confronted with how incredibly tiny our influence really is in the, in the last instance. And I, I, that's a really big generalization, but I think it's incredibly frustrating to people to go into a situation, especially as you get a more technological and bureaucratized kind of system. There may be times at the hotel where they actually can't help you. They're booked. This is what we've got. Like, I'm just here. I'm just a community college here at three in the morning trying to study. Like, why are you giving me a hard time? I'm just working at the desk. But <clears throat> I think, I think that's part of what leads to this very, uh, caustic public rhetoric and in some cases caustic public behavior and i think it helps to in part explain why there are, why there's such a proliferation of one star reviews everywhere you go like back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago and how much more or a week or two ago about how sticky negative things are it's very, right yes it's not it's not it's not difficult to find something you don't like about anything we can i think we can mostly agree on that unless you're being negative but no. um it's <laughs> You know, it takes a lot more time and trouble to go in and leave a positive review. And here's the thing. If you do go to an Amazon or you do go to a Yelp, I've said this before, I look for three-star reviews whenever I go to a site. It's amazing. Three-star reviews. It's, yeah, it's amazing how few three-star reviews you'll find. Five-star reviews uh, can, can be extremely good. Uh, One-star reviews, I would have to say, are given their distribution on the curve, they are uh, way less useful than their apparent 20% <laughs> appearance would imply. Really? A three, well, <clears throat> I mean, a one-star review is somebody who's mad. A two-star, a two-star, a five-star review is somebody who loves it and really could be an insider, maybe. A four-star review, boy, there's a lot of great four-star reviews, but a three-star review, uh, and please don't use this to game the system universe, but the three-star review is somebody who's really thought about it and they don't, they don't get a lot of personal woofy. Nobody gets famous for three-star reviews. I don't think. Because a three-star review makes everybody mad in some ways. <clears throat> it makes the, the person getting the re- review, they're not happy with that because it's not going to really help them in terms of getting higher up in the ratings. An average rating is, is a boring rating. But to me, a three-star review is when somebody's really thought about it, usually. Because a three-star review is where you see, you see more than your own emotions about it. Oh my God, this is the best Instagram program that's ever been made. Or... Total fail, should have read instructions, didn't run on my jailbroken uh, Nexus tablet or whatever. Right. I don't even know which – but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I think people and, – and that extends to me like being on the train the other day. And like I don't know. I, I guess one thing San Francisco has to its credit a lot of the time, at least in my neighborhood, is people kind of keep to themselves and are pretty polite. When they're on a streetcar, which is going by right now, uh, more so than on the buses, people are kind of quiet. But you really notice when somebody is talking really loud, and it's almost like a public performance of a future Facebook post. You see people standing there, and I think that's what you experienced in the elevator. Y- you experienced somebody's ongoing Facebook post that is their <laughs> life, <laughs> right? Yes, they've got yeah. they've got their own little HBO series in their mind. That they're acting out right now, or whatever. Not probably not yes. HBO. It's probably maybe stars. I don't know. Like but they're working time. out. <clears throat> maybe Cinemax After Dark. But they're 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 <laughs> working out some kind of spec script about their life where they're the star. 
And that's what you're hearing in that elevator. <clears throat> Thank goodness for you, you did hear it because then you could go down and, you know, that just deal sa- with it. It saved me from finding that out at, you know, 11 or whatever time period. Dude. <sighs> you know what, though? What's weird and all that is I know that feeling. I know that feeling you're talking about. And this is, this is the pessimist in me, but I know that feeling of standing there on the elevator going, oh, God, please let this be over. Please let this be over. And then going, wait a minute. I don't need any more information. I know these people are in the room next to me. I know, yeah. I can feel it. I can feel it in my soul. <laughs> and of course it turns out to be true. Yeah. And I, you know, and it was, it was one of those things that, you know, that's, what are they going to do? Say that to these, to these guys who have enough money to buy a hotel room that they can't stay there. And you know what? Maybe they would have been asleep at seven thirty PM uh, they wouldn't make any noise. They would just rest quietly in their beds, you know, maybe watch a little PBS before. Chances are that's not what's going to happen. They're going to sit down and, and they're going to listen to the American experience at a reasonable volume. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to watch a documentary. I watched a documentary last night. What was it? Well, I'd be, I'd be changing the topic if I said, but, um, that's all right. Well, anyway, Florida, let's, let's change Florida. the topic. God, God bless Florida, Dan. They, they, we are so grateful to Florida for bringing us up. Uh, in the manner to which we became accustomed eventually. But I'll tell you what, my first job was, was working at a Burger King and every other job that I've had since has been such an upgrade, uh, from, from the hard work that people who have to work at Burger King and what they have to endure that every other job I've had as bad as it's ever gotten has seemed pretty damn great. <laughs> yeah, they gave you a larger closet. Yeah. Upgrade, by the way, also the name of a character in Idiocracy. He's a pimp. His uh, name has two D's for a double dose of his pimping. (laughs) See, a pimp's love is – anyway. Yeah, you know, I'm really all over the map. I'm – Can I tell you about something I like? Hey, Dan. uh, Yeah. Tell me about something you like. I will. Let me tell you about fresh books. This is one of my favorite ways – to keep track of expenses, to get paid faster, to send invoices, uh, and to even to manage expenses. A lot of people, I know a lot of people in our audience, they're focused on productivity. They're focused on getting back to work. This is true, but they're using tools that are antiquated for the purpose. For example, they are using Word or Excel to create an invoice. It seems backwards, but a lot of people have these things sitting on their hard drive and they're like, oh, I'll just use that. But it it's not the best way to do it. And because this show is all about a hundred percent about productivity and improving your uh, effectiveness. Yes. You should look at FreshBooks. It, it is a cloud accounting solution. It's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs, small business owners, uh, just like you save time with your billing and get paid faster. That's the key. How does it help you get paid faster? Well, it's incredibly easy to go in and generate an invoice. You don't have to worry about which template to use or how to do it. No, you go in there, you set it up and you're done. You want to go, you invoice your, you invoice your client. Uh, this, this is how, uh, we do all of our invoicing at five by five. And we have for years, even before FreshBooks was a sponsor, uh, because it's the fastest, easiest way. And I've talked about their snooping feature. I love their snooping feature, and this is really cool. This is where you can go, and when you send – so let, let's say I want to invoice, uh, I, and I use FreshBooks to invoice FreshBooks, so I'll use, I'll use them as an example. When I send them an invoice, it'll, it'll send it via email, and I'll know just by looking in the system when they received it. I'll know when they looked at it. I'll know if multiple people looked at it, and that tells me right away that, oh, you know what, they know about it. And so if I have that net 30 on there, I'm going to get paid in net 30. I'm going to know that they got it. They go, well, I never got it. Or oh, went to my spam. No, it didn't because he looked at it at 11.26 p.m. on Wednesday. 
very cool stuff. And it, it really does make everything simpler. You can accept payments on it. You can even track your time, your hours, expenses, everything to make billing so easy. And here's the cool part, the delicious part, uh, just for back to work listeners every day, they're giving a birthday cake away to somebody who signs up for a new account from this show. This is a birthday cake. They go to a local uh, baker and they get a birthday cake sent to you. This is real. And I hear the cakes are delicious. Uh, You enter back to work in the how did you hear about us section when you're signing up for a new account and you could win a cake, even if it's not your birthday. So go to getfreshbooks.com, sign up over there, enter in back to work, win a cake, and uh, and have a great day. Thank you very much to FreshBooks for supporting Florida 5x5 and back to work. Well done. Hey, hey, so Dan, I won't Dan. do two shows a night. I won't do it. <clears throat> won't do it. <laughs> the other ones so you couldn't what? even sit in. No. Watch, watch the wall. <laughs> watch the wall with the rock. <laughs> it's a good film. It's a very good film. I, I, I sent you a uh, picture of President Camacho. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, Dan, it's a, fu- it's a funny thing. I, I did, uh, I did. <laughs> I did the uh, the Fresh Books ad uh, over on your uh, your Amplified program. I listened to it. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I just wanted I would I just wanted to mention uh, I call it cross promotion. Is that uh, I sat in? Uh, you were I guess because you were in Florida. Now I know. Yeah, now I was it can doing, be told. A, doing a bit of traveling and uh, and preparation for the traveling. And you stood you stood uh, an excellent uh, uh, host of a show for stood in for me, and it was wonderful. I enjoyed that show. That was fun. It's fun to visit with Jim and. Uh, we talked about Google. He's not super into Google, that Jim Dalrymple. We talked about Google and the Nest. We talked about uh, pentatonic guitar solos. Mm-hmm. He dropped some science. Mm-hmm. He played some riffs. It was really cool. That's his new thing is bringing the guitar on. It's pretty cool. That's a, that's a heck of a sound he's got. Mm-hmm. Fat is what we call it. Fat. Mm-hmm. It's wide. It's a broad, broad sound. <laughs> No, it, does, it sounds great. Uh, anyway, that's in show Nobody notes. cares about anything in Florida. I'm just saying. Dan, I have to be honest with you. I don't think anybody cares about anything in Florida. I think, mm-hmm. I think you know what? This is not the topic. We don't have a topic. But I think that is, that is a contagious thing. It's a spirit-breaking thing. And, you know, it's, there are those kind of rare instances where you see somebody being unnecessarily kind to a stranger without expecting anything in return. And it changes your day. Like when you, you know, there's something, um, some friend of mine on Tumblr's talked about this a few times going in, um, uh, there's this, she's been, uh, behind, a this, the same woman on a couple occasions who she's never met who like will pay for her Starbucks drink at the drive-thru. You ever gotten that? You go to the drive-thru and, and you pull up to pay and like all oh, the pay- person in front paid for you. It's just a thing. It's kind of a cool thing. And it's a kind of, it's a cool thing that I love. I don't, there's probably a name for it. It's probably a meme, but, uh, probably and put a doge on it. But the... Uh, I, <laughs> You're good. That's good. Doge. You can put letters on anything. Um, the, uh, but but that's, that's such a great thing because that, there's no way that you could ever know that that person's going to do that. And there's not really any way to thank them in, unless you, uh, you know, kind of stalk them. Like fall into their office honking or something, <laughs> but like that to me is like the opposite of of life today in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, it's just doing something, doing something like that, and to the point where like sometimes you know my my, my thing like I, I consider myself the ambassador of taking your picture when you come to San Francisco, and my, my it drives my daughter crazy, it drives my wife crazy. But whenever I see see people, 
uh, trying to like wangle some kind of a group photo and maybe turn it into a selfie that's never going to work, I always say, hey, wouldn't you want me to take the picture for you? And, and the thing is, I take better pictures than most people, so I know not to shoot it straight into the light. Don't shoot it into the sun. You can't see the bridge. But I'll, I'll figure out how to take a good photo, and then we'll take it for them. That's a nice thing to do. But they think I'm, I'm a real creepy guy because I look homeless, and I come up, and I want to hold their camera for a minute. And they think <laughs> that's pretty weird. It is weird. But I don't know. It's um, – uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's something to be said for, for class systems where civility takes the place of equality. Mm-hmm. But – that's maybe not such a great thing, but like, I don't know. I think civility is such a nice thing. Well, it's so little nice to thing. be gained by being a dick. I mean, by just for no reason being an unkind person to a stranger, there's just, there's, it doesn't really, even like I have my bad days and I will like do dumb things sometimes, but I don't know. It's just not much benefit to it. But the thing is, if everybody around you is behaving the same way, then you start to feel like a sucker if you're anything but a jerk. I just there's certain things though that it goes a little bit deeper than that because I feel like you have to it just this whole like for example the whole door thing that you're let's just say you're walking into a coffee shop with with a friend or you know your spouse whoever you're walking in it I don't even think about looking to over my shoulder to see if there's somebody else who's coming in the door right behind me it's automatic I don't even I don't it's not like hmm I'm opening the door. I wonder if there's someone behind. It just look back. That that you know? should be 100% automatic. You should never. That's zero thinking process to do that. You just look back, and there. If there's someone there, uh, you 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 do one of two things. If the person is carrying something, such as a box or a child, you stand in such a way that you're holding the door open for that person to get through. If uh, if it, or you know, or if that person it maybe has an injury and they're taking longer, you hold the door open for them. And if it's just a regular person with with no impediments of any kind, you you hold the door so that they can then extend their arm and and receive the door, and you walk through. <laughs> this doesn't take any thought or concentration. It's time. not like you have to look back and decide whether the person's door worthy. It's not like you. <laughs> it's not like you go, hmm, I don't like that guy's sports team. Right. You're At gonna the open, very least. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely 100% automatic. And I mean, I, public transit is a great example of this. I know you're not blessed or cursed with public transit like we are. It's a great thing. I mean, I'm really glad it's there. Um, but like, for example, something I remember from the days of pushing a kid in a stroller is, mm. you know, what a pain it is. And God, having two kids, can you imagine, like, you know, trying to get a, a, a stroller off of a bus on maybe – I'll say probably three or maybe four occasions, even looking the way that I look, um, behaving the way I behave. I'll say to somebody who is obviously about to get off, can I help you get your stroller off? And I've never been refused. So I I walk down the steps. I grab the front end with two hands and 100% attention and help get that out. Because no, And it's amazing how I (laughs) – you never see anybody offering to do – not nobody. But it's amazing how rare that is where somebody with a wheelchair gets on and has to like, you know – there's, there's a, if you're familiar with Muni uh, listeners, you know that like if somebody in a wheelchair gets on, you put put up the, the the seat that like three people are sitting on gets put up against the wall, like flipped up, and there's a place for somebody in a wheelchair to go. And it's amazing somebody gets on in some kind of like you know like a, somebody with a pretty se- severe disability gets on with a very elaborate wheelchair, and people just stare at them like they're from Mars. It's like stand up, move. Have you never been on public transit before? I'm sorry, this is going nowhere. No, this is going everywhere because it speaks to uh, and but here's the here's the interesting thing is that it was so noticeably different. 
And it was, it was incredibly, it was just like from, from the get go everywhere. It was, it was every restaurant, every place we went, everything like that. There was just this sort of blase attitude of either not caring or outright rudeness. How does that happen? And it's, trust me, I was not looking for it. I went there thinking maybe this place is, is, is great now. You know, maybe I'm going to think back and be like, oh yeah, you know, this was not that bad. I don't know why I was so harsh on Florida. I was really hoping to feel that I was looking for the good. And, and I'm not saying I found nothing that was good there. there, You know, we, uh, we, the winter park is still beautiful with, with great uh, lakes and all that stuff. Fine. But the, the kind of caring and, and, and that whole, it was, it had gotten worse. And how is it that a whole place kind of gets in that zone gets in that mode of it and it's funny because you know you you get back and uh the flight arrived at like 10 o'clock at night and uh needed to go get something to eat went to the restaurant and outside the restaurant uh, there's uh there's some people sitting outside the restaurant and while you know while you you wait uh to get it they they just strike up a little comfort like oh man did it just get 20 degrees cold around here or what like yeah it did it did get cold people are just they're having a conversation they're open they're friendly it's just the you know, people immediately they're holding the door the people are, are saying they're sorry it, it's immediately different the minute you walk off the plane how is that possible <sighs> i see i don't <laughs> you're I, saying i'm making a generalization i'm no, not i'm I, not I, i'm not i'm just i'm very um I want to be careful about not tossing out, you know, millions of people with, with something that's that as broad as that, even as a half joke. I, I, I think part of it is, remember what, what I was saying before about how there's a system everywhere. Maybe there's a system there of a kind that, that you and I just are not good at detecting or maybe just don't like. You know, like, like your example of New York, where I would, I would hold that whether you like the system or not, there is, there are systems in play. Like, you know, if somebody, if somebody is yelling at you, to like keep keep moving and get out of the way like that's part of the system i think you know there's a certain amount of like res- personal responsibility in new york and manhattan i feel like like there's this like you know autonomy like i, I you libertarianism have, i guess maybe that that like you really really need to take care of your own stuff mm-hmm. um but i don't know i mean I, i've met a lot i've met a lot of really nice people everywhere uh, I, I think, well, there's a lot of vectors to this. There's this vector of like, do we deal with strangers? Do we talk to strangers? Are we suspicious of strangers? Are, are we helpful or not helpful? Because, I mean, like, for example, like when we go to New England, go to Rhode Island where my wife's family live, lives, it's a lot like Florida in some ways. There's a lot of people in shorts walking around who've been drinking a little bit, um, but they're, they're, they're way more friendly. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange. Just, I think part of it's like the Portuguese culture up there is very, is really garrulous and friendly. And there's like a big community feeling and there's lots of parties. And, um, I don't know if I'm going to say, if I'm going to say one jerk thing, I'll, I'll say this one general thing, which is that, and this, this goes back to the very first episode, I think of Roderick on the line where we talked about, you know, this whole concept of keep moving and get out of the way. I think, I think in, in different places, people are, are sometimes better or worse, comfortable or uncomfortable being in public. People, aren't quite as good at being in public as they could be sometimes. And sometimes the requirements, well, for example, in, in, in Manhattan, there's not a whole lot of places where you're going to have dedicated personal space. 
You understand that your seat on the subway is, has been somebody else's seat before and will be somebody else's seat again. If you ride on public transit in a place where people don't ride public transit a lot, they take it really personally. It's like somebody stepped into their car. I think if you're, if you're in a place where you spend a lot of time in your own car, in your own air-conditioned house, in your, and this is, I don't mean this, I'm not trying to like, because I spend a lot of time sitting in the same rooms. So I'm not trying to criticize in that sense, but I think if you get too, um, if you get too attached to the idea that every space is your personal space, you stop seeing it as something that you're moving through amongst mm. other people who are also sharing that space with you. It gives you a very different idea about it. Like you would never go to the park and go, hey, get out of here. This quarter of the park is mine because I'm here by fiat. You, you wouldn't do that. You'd be like a crazy person. But, you know, you might I, – I, I, guess I, I guess I just feel like if you're so – if you're used to being able to make the air conditioning exactly the temperature you'd like with exactly the radio station or, or commentator that you would like to hear to drive into exactly the parking space that you want, whether it's handicapped or not, if you're used to that kind of that sense of like – Entitlement. Uh, compar- compar- yeah, compartmentalized personal entitlement. Um, boy, that's a really, really general thing. But then, you know, if I were going to go out on a limb, I'd say then combine that with a – uh, you know, an, an increasing amount of culture that enables us to focus almost completely on one kind of thing to the exclusion of other kinds of things. And pretty soon when you go out in the world, all you're going to see is people who aren't like you to the point where they start to seem like they're against you, even though they don't really care. I think there's a way of not, of quote unquote, not caring about other people but, and still being a nice person. I don't, I don't, I don't really care about what's on your mind today, person. I'm going to open this door for you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. I'm a person who opens doors and that's just a thing. Now, I'll tell you where this gets dangerous. I have one example where you got to be careful, especially here. Like you get a four-way stop on a busy street and somebody stops. They see you standing there with a kid. They're being nice, right? You ever get this? And they give you the wave to go ahead and cross. That's nice, but I never take the wave. Mm, why not? I make my decision about when I cross the street. You, I've tried to teach my daughter this. Don't worry about when other people cross the street. There are going to be people who cross. Don't use other people as a guide to when to cross the street. Use your own intelligence and judgment to mm. know when to cross the street. Because that person wave you on, that really nice person, may not see somebody else who's not a nice person who's, who's cutting, the, uh, cutting the right on uh, at a stop sign and doesn't see you. Just saying. Uh, this, is ridiculous. This, is, this is nothing. We got nothing here. No, I love this. <sighs> this is miserable, Dan. This is terrible. What are we this is the best do? show we've ever done. Literally. No, I mean, we have a good one and we have a, you know, not so good one. So what? So what? Yeah. So what? Mm. <laughs> Are we talking about something else alike? Yes. <laughs> it's I, thought we could, I thought we could break the curse. I thought no, we could it, break it, the this curse. This is a good episode. No, this is a good episode. We had a couple really good ones. Oh, man, I had a topic that wasn't going to be a topic, and now, and now we're making fun of Florida. Well, it's my fault. Mm. Nah, is there ever really a fault? <laughs> Dan, could you tell me about something you like? <laughs> Come on, now. I'm better. I don't do that anymore. You don't I think do I did no. that on that one interview no, like no. years ago. That's an impersonation of a non-existent Dan. You're, you're a whole. You're you're a whole, a whole human in a rented Dodge who opens doors for people like a gentleman. Tell me about something you like. I told. How did did I tell you I was in a Dodge? You sent me a photo. I did. You showed me yeah. what you had in your fingers. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to you for that. That made the whole trip better. Mm. No, it really did. Just vapor. That's all you need. Moving on. If you've got a, a web or a mobile application, as a lot of our listeners do, 
you need to know about New Relic. New Relic is a developer's best friend. Why? Because they have these amazing analytics. They have this dashboard. It gives developers powerful code-level visibility into real-time performance of their applications. What does that mean? I will tell you what that means. It means you can find bugs, you can see bottlenecks, and you can fix problems fast before they even affect your users. Okay, You no longer have to ship an app to production and then wait around and say, well, I wonder if it's going to work. I wonder where the problems are going to be. And then the negative app reviews start showing up. The negative tweets start to pour in. All of a sudden, you've lost that initial round of funding. You have to go for a second series. Nobody wants to invest in it. Your company's already starting to fail. You think you I get that. I get that all the time. People you know, don't want to invest in my round. They don't. And it's all because the, the app is having problems that you could have avoided. I'll give you a real-life example of this. Uh, whenever a page was regenerated in the, so on the 5x5 CMS, <laughs> and I've been using New Relic since uh, they were at a single trade table at uh, Access Conference years ago when I did this little talk there. I met them, and the, the, the founders and the guys, they were just sitting at this little, this little uh, fold-out table. They were just getting started. And it was a great product, a great service. I'm like, man, you guys are going to be big. Like, well, we hope so. We, you know, we hope we're solving problems. So let me give a real life example. 5x5 is a Rails uh, system and it generates the pages as HTML caches them. But whenever uh, the cache had to be regenerated, so it, the site wouldn't go down, but it would be really slow to respond because it was generating these, these things. And I'm like, well, I wonder where the problem is. I w- went into the New Relic dashboard, and I could see which MySQL queries were taking too long. I could see which individual pages were taking long time to regenerate. And I could even see, because of New Relic, see the code that was taking the, long, that, taking the longest amount of time. And I went back in and rewrote the code and eliminated the problem. But how long would it have taken me to figure that out, looking at every single controller, every single mod? It would have been ridiculous. This system tells you, and it tells you visually. It tells you with graphs and charts, and it even finds the, the, the sequel for you. It's, it's amazing. And this is not just for Rails. Uh, don't, uh, don't think it's just for Rails. It's for pretty much all the platforms that are out there. Uh, go check these guys out. There is a special URL that you should use. It's newrelic.com slash Back to work spelled out. What will you get? The offer code back to work will give you 30 day extended free pro trial just for listeners back to work. So, uh, so again, go check that out. Get deeper insights into your application, spot the bottlenecks and, 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 uh, and make all your users happier. That's newrelic.com slash back to work promo code back to work. Thanks very much to new relic for making this show possible and for the five by five CMS faster. Well done. That place is awesome. You know, we recorded a podcast. The is up there in San Francisco. Look at me. I got coffee. Look, I like to live in San... Anyway, go ahead. I have sets of doors that open and close. My elevator has door buttons. While taking pictures of people and holding their strollers. Oh, uh, my, uh, my, uh, <laughs> all of my toilets flush. And I pay my bills on time. <laughs> dur, 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 dur. Uh, They're awesome. Uh, I found out my friend Lance works there. I did not know that. I just recently discovered my friend Lance works there. Lance, uh, Lance Armstrong. That's right, Lance, Lance Arthur. Yeah. I just um, figure I go for the the biggest name, and you know, Ev and Lance, whatever. Oh man, man, oh man, oh man. Actually, you know, Lance is pretty famous. <laughs> Your friend Lance? Yeah. In development uh, circles. Yeah, he's uh, he he's Glass Dog. He's uh, like a oh Glass the, Dog. He's one of the originals, old school, still kicking, still kicking. Um, Gotta make a living. Gotta earn a living. That's right. Take in what they're given because you're literally working for a living. God, no. Um, Don't do that. Well, you got a problem? You got a problem with the news? 
Do you believe in love, Dan? Do you believe your thoughts? <laughs> Do you believe in your own thoughts? Um, I don't know. People, uh, a couple of people are uh, DMing me. They want, they like us talking about this. I, I think it's it's a deplorable they like this topic. topic. I feel bad talking about this topic. Um, it seems critical to you. Um, uh, okay. Uh, I. Yeah. I, mm, how can I put this? This sounds really. Uh, sometimes you can't leave somewhere. Um, but sometimes you can't leave. Sometimes for whatever reason, and there are all kinds of reasons. Uh, it, you just you might want something different. You might want something else. Um, when a lot of times I've been places where I want more than anything to be whatever that is. Well, that could could be San Francisco. It could be New York. It could be Austin. There's a time when I really want to live in Austin. But what's funny is like sometimes you may not be happy where you are. And and more than anything, you want to be in an other place or maybe a specific other place. And after a time of not being able, for whatever reason, to leave the place that you're in, being unhappy, feeling stuck there. And, you know, we we don't need to go into the millions of reasons why you can kind of hate being someplace. Might be hate the weather. You might not like the people. You might not like the driving. You might not like your job, whatever it is, your family. Who knows? But after a certain amount of time pining to be someplace else – I think you can't help but become weirdly emotional about the place that you can't leave in two contradictory directions. On the one hand, you hate it more than ever. I remember – I mean is, is anybody more capable of hating something than a teenager? I remember being like 14 and just hating where I was so much. And I had a lot of good reasons totally. to hate it. I've told you before, the, the place that I lived in Pasco County, um, the median age was 58. So – I've said this before, but that means if you went down to uh, went down to the Chess King, <laughs> you went down, you went to the mall, and you or wherever, if you lined up five random people in a row, in the order of their chronological age, the third person would be fifty-eight years old. That's a tough place to begin with. That's a tough place to be fourteen in a retirement mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is. I, and I, I think this is not uncommon in, in, a, in a whole lot of places. You hate where you are in some ways so much, but at the same time, like nobody's allowed to say mean things about it. Like, you know, like you, like you say, like, well, you know, nobody's allowed to talk about my family like that except for me. Nobody's allowed to use that derogatory term except for my people. Do you know what I mean? Totally. I think that that's a, I don't, I don't, there's probably a name for this, but, uh, I think that's a real thing. So I think, on the one hand, we might get a lot of people raw rawing along. There are certainly going to be people whose feelings get hurt anywhere if you say something mean about where they live. It's a terrible thing to do. And But if they can't get away, I would not be surprised if people feel a really strange mix of like agreeing and nodding along with feeling like, hey, this is where I live. Why are you saying that? You know. And, and I would not want to be guilty of the same general pattern that we're um, castigating here, which is that you know, these weird generalizations about how everybody acts. I wouldn't want to just say that this entire state is, is bad or something. It does seem like a lot of weird things happen there. But I think everybody everybody wants something. They want something different. They want something better than what they've got. But the 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 thing is you can always improve your own half acre. You can always decide to just be a better person wherever you are and wherever whatever system you're in. I mean 
you know, if, if you decide that you're a person who wants to open doors for other people because that's who you want to be, that's a term I use a lot. I'm not great at it, but I really believe that this is something I do because of who I am, not because of who you are. I'm not treating you this way because you're somebody who's, who's whatever famous and deserving of respect. I'm doing this because of who I am. And I think everybody's deserving of respect in this manner that I'm comfortable with. And so, I mean, I think that's, that's one way out of it. The, the, the dirty little secret is that when you move to your, Austin or your Manhattan or your San Francisco or whatever dream place you're going to go to on your rainbow cloud and everything's going to be perfect. Like there's going to be a whole new set of weird, different problems there. It might be better in the long run, but like, I think you're almost always, you are always better off to assume that you could be doing better at where you are right this second. You could be better at what you're doing this morning. You could be, you could become somebody who opens doors because that's who you want to be. You could be somebody who leaves a $5 bill for the person behind you to pay for their tab. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that sounds like really Pollyanna, but like that's, that's a really, on a secondary level, that's a great way to like improve the world in an actual realistic way that doesn't involve making crap up on Facebook. But in a primary way, it makes you a better person. It makes you have a little more human dignity and it makes you, Realize that if people don't treat me with respect, that's I don't really have any control over that. But I'm always going to have my own respect because I know who I am and I know how I want to treat other people. And that is, when you become a real grown-up, way more important than how people treat you. Mm. You know, if I – whenever – this sounds really corny, but whenever I encounter somebody who I think is being a real douche tool, <laughs> I try to always remember that they were once my daughter's age and had a dad. And how would I want somebody to treat them? And so, you know, not to be condescending, but to just try and be a little bit, you know, open and understanding about like well, how everybody's gotten to, to their own particular complications in life. I don't know. I'm getting kind of up in the clouds, but I, you can very easily draw me into po- taking pot shots of Florida. And I've got so many that I'm not doing right now because I just don't think it's kind. But I, what I will say is wherever you are, like, don't wait for that move or for the prospect of that move to change what you're doing. Like you don't have to eat out of machines all the time. You don't, I mean, you, maybe you do have to, maybe you literally live next to a machine and all you have is quarters, but there are ways. Don't let where you live suck you in to be somebody you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Nobody even really has to know that you're growing, but you can grow without, Hopefully, you could still fit in. I mean, if you're a teenager, it's hard because you have to prove yourself externally. You have to have whatever, different hair, different loud music, different whatever, because that's how you prove to yourself that you're who you are. It's by those public displays and those ongoing Facebook posts of a life. But like, you know, as somebody who's growing up and getting a little older, I don't know. I I guess I feel like there's always the opportunity to try and, and be like a decent person with people, especially with strangers. I don't know. I think that's that's always something that you can do. And, you know, and then eventually maybe you can get to that Buddha-like level where you assume that everybody else is doing their best too. And then that makes you much more sympathetic to anybody mm-hmm. in a given day. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think and, – and so, you know, I get what you're saying. You're saying it's not fair to bash Florida. It's not fair to generalize about all of it. And, and that's true. I mean, there are some wonderful, amazing people and things to do in Florida, but it's – it, it's interesting, though, and the big, the bigger question to me, taking kind of what you were saying and going to a little bit of a different place with it, is the the way that the environment, and I won't say just the people, but the environment in general, can affect the way that you feel Ugh. 
about yourself and the things that you're doing or the things that you're trying to do. And, you know, a simple, simple example. Uh, and since we're talking about Florida, I'll use this one. Uh, I, I had this great talk uh, and a great time watching uh, Alexis speak. And afterwards, you know, the, the thing ended and I guess it was, you know, after 10 o'clock or in that time period. And I thought, okay, you know, when I'm, I'm starving. I didn't get any, any food. I'll go find a place to eat driving around. And the roads are completely deserted. This is central Florida out by UCF driving with, with the exception of the actual, you know, physical, literal downtown or uh, Orlando part. Everything is closed. Uh, there are no open restaurants. The, even, even the little places you would think would be open are, are closed. And it's, it's just, you know, that environment is a very different environment than a place like San Francisco where everything's pretty much open all the time, where even in Austin where you can go and, you know, you've got your pick of five or six great places that are going to be open till two or three in the morning if you want, plus all the food trucks and other things. This is a cultural difference. I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but it's just little things like that. And I'm just talking about food. When you expand that out to the level of, uh, of, you know, the, the things that you're interested in, how many people have written into us, Merlin, and said, I love this show. You guys are my, are the only two geeks that I know, or you guys are the only two people who like the movies that I like, or you talk about the things that are interesting. And I have great friends here in, you know, name of town where I live, but they're not interested in these kinds of things. And I don't have a community and back to work is my community. You know what I mean? Like that's a mm-hmm. real thing. That's a real thing. And, and now we have the internet and we have podcasts and we have the ability to connect with other people um, who are everywhere uh, in, in the country or the world and have that community, even if it's online as opposed to in person, there's those things still exist. You can go and say, wow, I'm dealing with anxiety. I've heard about breathing exercises and you can discover Buddhism online on listen to podcasts and people in a community in Redwood City in San Francisco when you're down in Oviedo, Florida and connect with that. And it can help you and change your life. And like, you can't do that kind of thing 15 years ago. And, you know, we have that now. And so I think that there's, the, you can, you can live in a place and not feel that, that, that we've talked about this a lot of being that sort of angst filled teenager of, I just want to get out of this place that mm-hmm. now there it's, it's, you know, when you're 15 and you can't even drive anywhere and your parents are quite content to live in the city that they're in and there's no way for you to to physically move, at least you can move toward the things you like now in a, in a, in a cerebral way. I don't even think that was there, you know, when we were, when we were that age. Yeah. I can't even, I can't imagine it because I think parts, part of, partly it's just a condition of being a young person. And I'm using the term teenager very generally, but I think about any time between the ages of about eight and 20 in particular, uh, all along the way, in different ways, different times, different amounts, but feeling very isolated. I think I th- I, maybe maybe it is literally just me, but I remember feeling extremely isolated no matter where I went. I mean, feeling like oh, yeah. uh, I'm the only person in my family that's this certain way, or I'm the only person in this class that's this certain way, or you know, feeling like the dumbest kid at my college, for sure. And mm. There were a lot of classes where I definitely feel like I was the least gifted person in the class a lot of the time, and it was obvious. Um, 
Like, or, or, you know, or then being a snotty teenager and feel like, God, I'm so much smarter than everybody else I work with at this restaurant. Right. Like it's one or it's one or the other, right? You're either completely outclassing everybody or you yourself are completely outclassed. At least that was my, you know, like, yeah, like, wow. It, but, but in either case, you're still completely isolated, right? There is that feeling of isolation, but I think part of that feeling of isolation comes from your need to be the most or the least anything. And when really you're just somebody in a room. And, you know, it's that it's I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the, the thing that there was one thing that ran through all of those things, which I was making it all about me, <laughs> uh, which I guess is normal, you know, for a human being to do. Um, but you're, you're right. I mean, there, it's nice. It's, it's amazing to think. I, I remember when I very first learned about news groups and mailing lists. For me, when I first got on Tallahassee Freenet in, I guess, 1993. So I got my first email account, and I started getting into uh, listserv, you know, uh, news group th- – not news groups, but, you know, news groups were pretty hard to navigate. They were – I was terrified to ever post in a news group, but I would go and read them. But especially with mailing lists, I got really involved with mailing lists. And that was the first time where I like, – obviously email. The first time I sent an email to a friend of mine in England, and he wrote back immediately. That to me was pure magic. Still one of the most amazing, like hearing a radio for the first time kind of feelings. But for me, I think uh, in particular, whatever book I got about the internet at, I think I bought two books about the internet. I bought an O'Reilly, whoever made the whole internet guide. I don't know if it was a Kevin Kelly thing, but I bought bought an internet book that was kind of about stuff that's on the internet and technical stuff. And then I bought this more like consumer friendly, like here's a bunch of, remember when half of every internet book was just lists of news groups? Like you're being uh, like yes, a 400 yeah. page appendix of, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll dot Unix dot sweaters dot blue. And, you know, but you'd learn it. But in particular, I got really into these mailing lists, like the XTC, Chalk Hills and Children uh, was one that I liked a lot, the XTC one. There's another one where you would take your friends out to lunch, all the people in the news group. You would, and it was basically a way of writing like little short nonfiction about where you lived and uh, describing the things in your everyday life in a, you know, not literary, but, you know, elevated way. And uh, I, I remember thinking then, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, got, I'm whatever then, 26, 27 years old, and I've got a job and a girlfriend and stuff and a car. But, like, how amazing would it be to be some – to have the exposure to this for the first time? And, you know, and then now today, like, obviously, it's all out there. But I don't – I have to imagine that the isolation never goes away. Because you might feel like the least worthy person on the mailing list. You might feel like the least, you, least intelligent person in the news group. You, you might, and so forth. You might feel like, like in, uh, like with me and this nerdy stuff I get into. I always feel like, so I go to this, you know, outsider group of quote unquote comic people, which increasingly is not such an outsider thing. But I always feel like I know less and less deeply than anybody else in the group. I still feel like an outsider in those things. Mm-hmm. I don't think that ever really goes away. I, I do wonder if there's a window for not feeling that way. I wonder if there's a window where not feeling like an outsider or not feeling outclassed or both. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, think about like Eric. The, is it Erickson that has the? Um, there's all the little crises in life, you know, uh, intimacy versus isolation and so forth. And like mm. these, these stages in life that you hopefully will get over this this crisis in life. Intimacy, intimacy versus isolation, I think, is the twenties. If you will, you be able to develop intimate relationships with people, or will you lose your window for that and suffs, you know, struggle with isolation? Anyway, it's a concept. Uh, I, I've often wondered, like, because there are some people who seem like really whole people who don't need the world to love them, 
who don't need to be the smartest person on the news group. And I always I, – I, I find them ponderous. I, I look at them and I just don't understand. Like how are you wired so well? How are you so wonderfully unconcerned what everyone thinks of you? <laughs> how, are you how are you so not worried about showing everybody that you always understand everything all the time? Those, those are the people I really admire and I, I – I wonder, like, what special medicine or sauce they got as a kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, to sort of be to seem to be unaffected, but, or but it's just in the service of make, of of agreeing with your basic point, which is that you know whatever is. I mean, culture is rough because it is culture is is the air around us, and you can't fight air. So you know, however you decide to be, you're still going to be facing whatever. Positive, negative, whatever, whatever inertia of the community that you're in. You know, if you're if you're trying to be like uh, a transgendered Rails programmer in an Amish community, you're going to have hard days. Yeah, um, because that's that's going to probably not be a great fit for a lot of folks in that community. But I agree with you. Whatever, I mean, whatever. In the same way that I, I like to say, or I believe that in a in a company, you will tend to see people. People will tend to emulate whatever's rewarded or whatever is suffered. People are not if, – if, if it's clear that you make some rule, like some arbitrary rule, but you never enforce it, and then lots of successful, successful people break that rule, people aren't going to follow that rule unless they're not particularly bright or scared or they're really scared. But if you're in a community where you feel like there's a dumbing down – you feel like there's a xenophobia about anything from outside. You feel like there's a natural disinclination toward anything new because it might be dangerous. I mean, that doesn't have to be a medieval village. That could also be the West Coast of Florida, in my experience. Sure. And if, but wherever you are, if there's not a framework for you figuring out how to take that thing that you feel weird about and either integrate it into that group or get the hell out of it, you're going to have a lot of stress. And and to your point, I, I think. You could start to feel like you're a terminal outsider. Like wherever you go now, you're always going to feel outside. Well, now instead of being the like quote unquote smartest guy in uh, your class, you're going to be the quote unquote dumbest guy in Manhattan. <laughs> you're, you're always going to feel outside, especially if you've gotten the habit of feeling like you're always an outsider. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's it, today, and one of the things that I I think is kind of related to this is how you know when. Again, going back to our childhood, at least where I grew up and in the community I was in, most kids didn't listen to Devo. Most kids didn't play Dungeons and Dragons. Most kids didn't have a TRS-80 color computer like I did or want one uh, and have, you know, spend all of their bar mitzvah money on it. Uh, you know, those things were the things that I was really, really interested in. And those were the things that I, I really enjoyed. Those were not acceptable things to do. Now, the the more you know about computers, the cooler you are. The more interested you are in uh, anime, you know. Th there there are communities for those things. There those kinds of interests are in most places. They're supported, and there's other people interested in it. And you can just kind of like whatever you want to like, and you can do the things that you, you want to do and you can find other people who are interested in them. Of course you're limited by your geography, right? But mm -hmm. in, in a very, very shockingly different way, the, the things that I thought were cool when I was, a, when I was a kid, and I'm talking like preteen and teen kind of ages more so than, than, 
you know, when you're a little kid, every, every, every boy just likes Hot Wheels cars. Like it's easy. Uh, not every boy, but like, that's just a thing. Like that's easy because that's what they like. But when you get older and your interests start getting more varied, like if you're not good at sports and interested in sports and don't want to play sports now, that's all right. But when we were kids, you were really weird if you didn't do that. And uh-huh. now it's easier to not be an outsider because of those interests that you have. And it's easier to not be in, feel like you're, you're, you're left out. I think at least in, from what I've seen and from people who I've, I've talked to, it, it seems like you can just kind of like what you like and you're accepted. And I think that that's, that's better and that's important. Uh, and, but so like, what do people do if they're still feeling the way that we were feeling? Cause I think we were certainly the odd man out at, in our time period. Yeah, well, I think it's it's probably even difficult to understand. I mean, one thing that's always, you know, I think think about is how much our exposure uh, to strangers has ramped up over the years. Um, you could, you know, boy, this is real armchair history stuff. But, you know, you think about all the years where you mostly knew people from the fire that you sat around and you knew people in the next village or you knew people, you know, from the Shire. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then I think one thing, uh, certainly with print, but absolutely with radio, radio changed everything because that was the first time that you could hear people that came from completely different. You could hear them, their voices talking from completely different backgrounds. You could hear people from other countries that you might never have heard. I mean, by the, I guess the 30s and especially the 40s, most people had access to a radio, and that radio brought the entire world to them. And so there was no way that you could keep your kid from finding out uh, all these different things. In some ways, certainly with TV, that brought all kinds of culture into our household. There's probably a lot of people in 1956, 57 who would just assume that there was no Elvis in their house. But that's tough to do because that TV brought that culture into the house. Whether you were in West Virginia or whether you're in Spokane, like wherever you were, that's, that's going to be there. And obviously today now that's, that's on a completely different level. But alongside all of that exposure to all these different cultures and all these different, you know, genres of music and movies and stuff like that. I think one thing that's hard for anybody who gets past a certain age is I think for me anyway, it's hard now to even understand what the genre breakdowns are. Like it was easy enough when I was a kid to go, okay, well, these are guys, these are the band kids. I mean, mm-hmm, again, right. if, like if metal, I were, metal heads, band <laughs> kids, you know, chess kids and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a couple levels to it though. On the one hand, those were certainly gross generalizations because there were a lot of people who were good at lots of stuff and a lot of people who didn't do lots of stuff. But today, um, you know, you could be, I was watching that documentary about the snowboarding guy that had the head injury. Oh man. What's it called? The, the, crash, the crash reel? Huh. Oh, that's a hell of a watch. We'll put it in notes. Right. Um, but, you know, that's a guy. He's, uh, he, he's a real handsome guy who knows how to gl- blow glass. And he's like the second best snowboarder in the world. And he likes music. And he's very kind to his brother with Down syndrome. And there's just – it's hard. I mean, you could look at that guy and go, oh, he's an extreme sports jock. But there's actually a lot more to it than that. And now today – I don't even know what the breakdowns are. I don't, I make no attempt to follow popular culture, which, you know, lets me keep my own mantle of being an outsider. But as far as how you get, reach out or, before we say that, you should tell me about something you like. Shutterstock. You heard of him? Boom. You heard of him? That's how we say yes here. We say boom. Boom. I mean, I don't even know. I feel like the whole spot, I could just say shutterstock.com, go there. Done. But they want me to say a little bit more. They got 28 million images, stock photos, vectors, illustrations, a million. They keep up in these numbers. We keep having to update these reads. A million video clips now they have. 
You start your search at Shutterstock.com. You're going to find the perfect image for your website, for your ad, your publication, whatever the creative project is that you're working on. You can go there and find the perfect image. Jim Dalrymple, your uh, your buddy over at Amplified, Merlin, he uses it for uh, the Loop magazine. Mm-hmm. I'm working on a couple sites where I needed some imagery and I wanted to go and find something pretty awesome. You, you, you go there, you type in a search term, and you'll find pretty much... Any every permutation of the results, so you narrow, you start narrowing it down. Do you want an illustration? Do you want a photo? You narrow it down. You can even search by color. They have these experimental features that you can search. You pick the color that you want. You you pick green, and then you do your search, and you narrow it down within that. It's amazing. And then, of course, there are these light boxes that you can create along the way. You can categorize and group all the different things that you find into these little light boxes and you can share them. So let's say you're collaborating with somebody, you send them your light box, they can contribute to it, add to it. Let's say you want to show your client and say, Hey, these are, these are the images I was thinking of using. You share that light box with them. It'll show it just to them. They don't have to try using the search terms or bookmarking pages. It's all so easy. And they've got the iPad application that makes it even easier and more simple to use. 20,000 new images a day. They're adding 12,000 videos each week. And it's more affordable than you think because you're going to get the high-resolution versions of all of these things built in. There's no additional price for that. Uh, I mean, they re- they really got it all figured out. So you can get a free browse account. You don't have to pay anything or really give them much information until uh, you're ready to buy something. So you just go to Shutterstock.com. When to find the images that you like and you want to purchase, we have an offer code for you. The offer code is back to work 114 So back to work 114 That will give you 25% off anything that you put together. Over there. So uh, do go take advantage of this offer. Shutterstock.com, back to work 114. Thank you very much to Shutterstock for making back to work with Merlin Man possible. <laughs> you were really nailing it for a while. For a while? Excuse this me. whole thing was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, for a hmm. while. Hmm? No, I mean the ending. <laughs> the happy ending. Yeah. The, the full release. Mm-hmm. That's what I look for. Mm-hmm. Criteria, we call it. Criterion Collection. Criterion Collection, they call it. You go into a place and you say, I got a lot of tension in my lower back, let's say. <laughs> Is there a way that you could give me the Criterion Collection? Right. That's the uh, right. code word. 600, 600 films from 400 directors, and then a happy ending every time. Mm-hmm. That's basically the plot of Wings of Desire. That's not. And that's getting loud. Um, do you like it when I speak German? <laughs> do you like it when I almost speak German? I do like that. This thing on? This is, this is literally the worst episode we've ever done. <clears throat> Why do you say that? <clears throat> Why do you say that? I don't. I don't say anything. I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, this I, is it's a, a very helpful episode. Okay. Okay. That's good, right? It's really good. We're breaking records over here. Submerged in oil. Remember that? I listened well, to it. What brought that back to you? <laughs> gone back and listened to a bunch of old hypercriticals and i forgot about how often you had a sponsor that was submerged in oil it well it was one sponsor and i don't know what became of them but um well, i imagine they're, they're still submerged in oil one imagines maybe. it's a weird concept but it's, it works it's, it's very unusual i think you should find get more sponsors where that product is submerged in oil maybe the criterion collection i'll look it up mm, fussbinder did you see that uh, that movie Don John? No. Go check that one out. Okay, writing it down. Let's talk about movies. Why not? I'm, can, can I say one thing? Go ahead. Call I'm, I'm a, th- uh, thank you, first time teenager. Where will people find the show notes for this episode? I had to say, Dan, people <laughs> want to go out and find show notes uh, for uh, this episode of your Back to Work program. They would go to. 
Wait, hang on, let me look here. Yeah, 5by5.tv slash B2W slash 155. That's B as in monkey balls, uh, 2 as in matriculation, and W as in matriculation. Don John. B2W slash, wow, 155. Can you believe that? 155. 155. 155. Read it out. 105. Z5. Z Z five. Z Z baby. It's Z's chopper. <laughs> hey, did you watch that movie? Ah, uh, no, it didn't. Uh, didn't, didn't go ha- through. Didn't 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 work out the way we had hoped. I'll help you work it out. I'll give you other a things. Other things worked out. Okay, I'll, I'll give didn't. you. a help your Criterion collection. All right. Um. Hmm. I'd love to. We should talk about movies, but first, uh, let me say one thing. This is not helpful. Um. I, I, uh, I put a link in the notes to Erickson's um, – what's the actual term for it? Erickson's Stages of Psychosocial Development. Um, it's it's one of those things where I kind of wish I didn't know about it. It's like idiocracy. I, I wish I didn't know about it um, because it makes me think that I'm a failure. That makes me – no, I'm sorry. Let me put that differently. It makes me assured that I'm a failure. Uh, Erickson's Stages of Psychosocial Development – Explains eight stages through which a healthily developing human should pass from infancy to late adulthood. In each stage, this is from Wikipedia, which is uh, never wrong, uh, the person confronts and hopefully masters new challenges. Each stage builds upon successful completion and so forth. But the nut is you got a window, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, for stage one, that's from birth to two years. Like if you don't work this out by the age of two, it's going to be real hard to work out. You know what I mean by a window, like a window of opportunity, right? Right, a window of time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, like, like for example, uh, like uh, our, our daughter was was a very late talker, and we were worried about that because right. there are, are certain uh, skills that you'll need later on that the talking really helps a lot. Late talkers, I think, tend to be late readers too. It all worked out fine; everything was great. But for example, like if you have a, you know find a feral child out in the woods, if they didn't get to hang out with people. And didn't get to be socialized with anything but you know monkeys and logs. They are not going to be super socialized if you pick them up at the age of eight. So, you know, for example, uh, the first ones, uh, hopes, right? For the, from birth to two years old, hopes meaning trust versus mistrust. Will you learn to trust people? Will you have people take care of you such that you can trust them? Phase two, will. That's from the age of two to four. Autonomy versus shame and doubt, and so on and so forth. Uh, initiative versus guilt the preschool years industry versus inferiority <laughs> from five to 12. How about that one? You like that mm-hmm. industry versus inferiority five to 12. How'd you do with that one? Poorly. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, stage five fidelity from the age of 13 to 19 identity versus role confusion. This is a tough one. In- intimacy versus isolation. Uh, and then as you move on, I'm, I'm going to fail these as well. You got generativity, Versus stagnation and ego integrity versus despair. So I'm looking forward to failing all of those. I'm going to try and clep out of uh, six if I can. <laughs> oh my God. But I'm going to tell you one thing about this. Clap it's an interesting out. clapping. Have you tried clapping? <laughs> remember clep? Yeah, I remember clep. I make that joke all the time. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Is, that, is clepping only done in Florida? I, I don't, I don't is know. Is it like stooping? Is <laughs> it like a schmeckle? It is like stooping, yes. I, sh- I schmeckled out of geology. No, I mean, did you ever take a CLEP test? No, CLEP is where you go, and at the sort of distribution requirement levels, first first couple of years of school, you can get credit. Like, you can basically say, hey, look, I can prove to you that I know this class and don't need to actually take it, right? Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's like you go in and you're like, wait a minute. 
I know everything that's going to happen in this whole class, and I can prove it by taking a test that only people who have completed yeah, or have in the knowledge. Intro to Composition 101, you go, well, you know, actually, I think I know most of this. I went to a really good high school, for example. I didn't, but uh, no offense, golf, golf high school. But you say, I, I know, that you take this test, and for certain standard distribution requirement type courses, you can clap out, right? 2,900 colleges grant clap credit. 2,900 colleges. Mm-hmm. Mm. You need to get a 50 on it currently. 50 out of, out of what? I don't know. It didn't say. See, it's uni- unitless. I think, um, <laughs> I think one, one problem I, I, I'm going to stipulate for myself, and this is the, and then I want to talk about movies because this is already really boring. But um, I, I feel like uh, I, I didn't realize this until I was in my 20s. But what I eventually realized, and, and realizing it did not make me happy, but what I realized was that for almost all of my life to that point – in, in my 20s, and especially up to the ages, I'll say 19 to well, well into college, uh, I define myself by what I was not. I define myself by who I was not. I define myself by what I didn't believe in. I defined my life, I think, almost completely by, by a kind of negativity. And okay. I, don't mean that, I don't mean that in a derogatory negative way, but by like, I don't listen to that music. I don't believe those politicians. I don't trust these people. I certainly don't want to see Urban Cowboy. Whatever that was, like all almost down the line, I could find things that I liked, but I very rarely found things I liked except by circumlocution around things <laughs> that I didn't like. And I think part of the challenge, Erickson or otherwise, is to realize what it is that you do like or more saliently, like who you are. Realizing who you're not is super important. And there's a time when you're very much still like this little cupcake in the oven. You're not really ready to come out yet. And you have to define yourself by what you're not. All you know is, oh, that's not for me. That's not for me. I don't like that person. She's stuck up and so on and so forth. But like, when do you get to the point? And this, there's not an answer to this question that's easy, I don't think. But like, you have to get to a certain point in your youth where you become more comfortable, at least become comfortable with the fact that even if you don't know who you are and mm-hmm. what you like and what you believe, you accept and understand in a sometimes difficult and sobering way that deciding what you're not is no way to go through life as you get older. You at a certain point, even if you're not ready to decide what you love, and, and don't care whether other people love, even if you're not to that wonderful point yet, you have to at least, I think, accept that you can't spend your whole life deciding what you're, what you're not. Because that's, that's, that's punk rock, and it's great when you're 15, but it's not a great way to be 50. That's, I don't know. I That's think, deep, man. Well, and I, why do I say that? Because I think if you are somebody who's sitting around in Central Florida and not sure what to do with yourself, like, did you have a really strong sense of who you are? Did you just go like, oh, I'm a gamer? It Wasn't it more like, I'm not this, I'm not like this guy in line at Publix? Yeah. I'm not like this person who doesn't know how to merge? That's, that's the challenge, is to figure out, to go way beyond just who I've decided I'm not because they're bad and boring. And to decide something affirmative that actually exposes you to a lot more stuff in the world, for better or for worse, really, better and worse. On the one hand, if you decide that you are a certain person and that's what you believe, it's very easy to criticize you now because you've been honest and you've been sincere and you've been straight up. It's a hard thing to get to. But I think I, – I, I still feel like uh, there can be real struggles that you feel – all through your early to middle adult years because you haven't really fully accepted that you haven't you haven't fully accepted that a life defined by negation is a life half lived wow 
So I watched this documentary. I watched. Uh, I've been watching a lot of documentaries. Which one? The Blackfish. I thought it was the Blackfish. I gotta, gotta be honest. I thought it was a little overrated. You saw it though. I saw, I saw most of it. Yeah. It was good. It was good. It was do you good. Feel, do you feel it's accurate? I don't know. I, it seemed accurate. It was. Uh, it really sought to ring emotional bells, which mm-hmm. in documentaries. Um, what's the phrase they use on the incomparable all the time? It, I need to make sure that that's on the screen and knowing that they edit and choose all that. I'm not saying it's a great story and it's all something obviously everybody I guess needs to hear, even though it turns out SeaWorld's revenue is actually going up. Um, yeah. Did you enjoy it? I enjoy wouldn't be the right word. I, oh, I thought, oh, yeah, you well, know, did, I, did it do what it sought to do? It, I feel that it did. I felt that it was a little bit like you're saying too much like, trying to pull in the emotional heartstrings a little bit too much. I would have preferred something that was more like investigative journalism, but you can't really do that 17 years later or, yeah. or whatever, you know? Um, sure. Sure. Makes you feel bad for that uh, killer whale though, huh? It makes you feel for Tilikum you're talking about. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I was living in central Florida by SeaWorld for all of this when it was happening. And I remember that being in the news and I remember them saying the thing with the ponytail and all this other stuff. And Oh God. Yeah. I mean that, that was very, very much a big story at the time in Florida for sure. And it was, you know, you believe what the news outlets tell you, you believe what the people tell you that, you know, that, that and I remember when the homeless person, um, uh, thing came out where the, the, the guy went in the water with the thing and of, of course got killed. But it's, you know, there was, there were times when I remember going to SeaWorld as, um, uh, you know, cause if, if you live in central Florida and SeaWorld and Disney are, are there, eventually you just go to them. Even if you it don't was, have a kid, it was and, pound for pound, my favorite of the parks, Disney world was more fun for, because it was Disney world. Yeah. But I mean, that was like an event. You wouldn't going to Disney world was a big deal, but right, SeaWorld, be like, Oh, we're not doing anything Sunday. Let's drive out. SeaWorld World in the early to mid eighties was a pretty amusing trip. Yeah. It really they had was. otters. They had the seal and otter show. They were adorable. Yep. But I don't know. I, I gotta go watch it again. So many people loved it so much. I feel like I should watch it again. But my gut was that I don't think they love it, Merlin, because it's a fantastic work oh. of documentary filmmaking, I, a masterpiece or something. I think they they it makes like you feel it. stuff. It makes you feel stuff. Yeah, and, but it and, but it makes a case for not anthropomorphizing these animals by anthropomorphizing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, exactly. But the other part of it, I think, is that it, for some reason, people love to feel like they have been – the truth has been revealed and yeah. something that seemed wonderful is actually – I won't go so far as to say evil, but it is actually not wonderful. And and somehow this – this they feel like they've been let into this discovery of this, uh, you know, dark corporation – at work behind the scenes and, and wow, we know about it now. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be fooled anymore. And have you seen the film? Do you know the truth? <laughs> you right. know what I mean? It's that kind of yeah. like you're in the club now, you know, because you know, and I know, and we won't go to SeaWorld again. And that's a, that's such a common genre. I mean, I, I'm not going to disagree or agree on that, that particular movie, but it's funny. If you go to Netflix, you could tell where they're really stacking up. On those kinds of documentaries, yeah. There's you go to the documentary section, and there's so much like, like pooped out documentary stuff to make liberals incensed. There's so many like super size me knockoffs, mm-hmm. like so many, um, like um, 
you know, well, shit, what's the Al Gore one? Inconvenient Truth. Yeah. Or, you know, there's like crazy 9-11 documentaries. It's like, it's such, the Robert Reich documentary is good too. That's out. I got two that, that I'll recommend. So I'll, I'll toss out um, that, um, um, the crash reel. Mm. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a hell of a thing. It's about this guy who's like, depending on the day, like pretty much the second best snowboarder he's training and he gets a traumatic brain injury and it's mm. the story of what happens. And anyway, it's really good. Uh, I recommend that. You know what else is good? Did you ever see stories we tell the Sarah Polly documentary? Oh no, I heard about that one. Don't read anything. Just go that. see it. Yeah. Put okay. it on your list. And All then right. I got another one, but you tell me one documentary or talk, yeah or you know whatever okay well i have i have something that is not a documentary but is based on a true story peter pan no it's the uh it, it's it's not something i've seen yet it's actually something i'm, I'm probably going to be watching it within the next couple days which is uh there is a movie uh starring uh, one of your favorite actresses uh claire danes she plays the um temple grandin temple Grand. yeah it's have good. you seen it it's good. She's okay. She's her performance is amazing. Yeah, can't wait to see that. Oh, I love her. Oh, she's she's awesome. There's also a really good episode. Uh, Temple Grandin. Well, anyway, people know Temple Grandin, but uh, there's also a really good series Errol Morris did called First Person, which are very Errol Morrissey like half hour episodes about one person. The guy who did you know Doctor Death. He did mm. Thin Blue Line. Um, great documentary filmmaker and his, his i think his first person on temple grandin was a very i mean you'll get the story in this one half hour episode she's amazing mm-hmm. she's just incredible and claire danes does a really nice job with it that, you're gonna enjoy that that's a good movie i'll definitely watch that one then i stayed up later than i should last night watching two things most of two things um you know what? No time to get into it. We should talk about it next time. But I, I've got, for some reason, I, relax, Jamie. I'm not actually getting into magic. I'm not going to become a magic guy because I define myself by what I'm not. But I, uh, I, I'm getting interested in magic. My daughter and I have been enjoying watching videos. There's an episode of Bob's Burgers that involved magic, and it got her interested in learning about magic tricks. But uh, there's a, a documentary of uh, Ricky Jay called Deceptive Practice. And it's him talking about Ricky Jay. You've certainly we've all seen Ricky Jay in uh, things with David Mamet and Paul Thomas Anderson. He's the guy. He's the cameraman in Boogie Nights. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. He's got a face made for radio. <laughs> he's uh, he's a, a, an amazing illusionist. Uh, close close uh, magic, sleight of hand. What that guy does with cards. Uh, so, so two things. One is this uh, really great thing called deceptive practice, which is Ricky Jay talking about magic and talking about his mentors and kind of a, a whistle stop history of magic. But mm-hmm. if you're only going to watch one Ricky Jay thing, well, based on what I've seen anyway, uh, go watch this on YouTube. You can watch it for free on YouTube. It's called Ricky Jay and his 52 assistants. And it's a stage show directed by David Mamet where Ricky Jay, uh, you could just say does card tricks, but it's going to completely blow your mind what this guy does with cards. It's uh, completely amazing. Cool. I, I got into it because it had me thinking about attention stuff, but also yeah. just because I don't understand how magic works and it makes me angry sometimes. My kid can do some pretty cool magic stuff. Is that right? Yeah, he went to uh, Chuck E. Cheese. And if you get enough of these uh, tickets from pouring money, my money into the games... Your hard-earned money. You take these tickets and you go up to the thing, and when, and when someone comes out, they have these little magic tricks. So one of them 
it looks like it's got a little like it's not a coin it's just a red thing that looks like a coin and you you slide that into a little a plastic uh piece of crap box <laughs> and then you turn that upside down and when you you pull it out the coin's magically gone and then when you put it back in the other way the little coin is back that sounds and like he, there's a, it's a bit, i bet there's a trick to it I mean, there's something mechanical happening, but it's it's seems like magic. Yeah, when you find out how most magic tricks work, it's extremely disappointing. Because you know what? You want to know the truth about most magic tricks? Yeah, it's a trick. It's not real. It's not even that it's not real. It's it's that it's sometimes like when you learn like how there's a great thing on um, the Prestige. Oh, I like that movie. I like that movie. Almost a perfect movie. You know what? I might watch that again. That's good. It's I'll got watch Wolverine. It, watch it along it's with got Wolverine you. and Batman, right? You tell me when you're going to watch it. I'll okay. start it at the same time, same exact time. And it's got My- Michael Caine. The Prestige. First of all, it, it, you put Michael Caine and Batman in the same movie, and it becomes a Batman movie. Yeah, it's just awesome sauce. Just add film. Yeah, yeah. And this has got Wolvie in it. It's the only. It's a crossover. Technically, it's a Marvel DC crossover film. And it's got David. Oh, did you hear David about Bowie? Did yes. you hear about? It- Superior Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, I heard uh, somebody's coming back. That's what I heard. Yes, somebody's coming back. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Are you excited? Yes, I'm very excited. That's so good. <laughs> Every time the word Spider-Man comes up in our house, the phrase Spider-Man, Ellie turns to me. She has this little thing. She'll, she'll go like, why does this, this, this such and such happen? She goes, why did Dan throw all his, com- why did Dan throw all his Spider-Man comics away? Every time Spider-Man comes Really? Up. She knows about that? <laughs> of course she does. I said, Dan's crazy. Something happened, and he was going to throw away, what, do you got 400 Spider-Man comics, something like that? I didn't throw them away. I just I moved them into the garage. Is that right? Yeah, but it's Texas garage, so they're fine. Texas garage. Everything's bigger here. Everything is so much better. You walk off the planet DFW to, yeah. to get your connecting flight to Austin. You're like, Okay. Hurry up, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> and where is Mike Judge from? Where is the only place where that movie ever screened? Austin, Texas. One theater in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Let's button this up. I love you. I love you too, Merlin Man. Yeah.